first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in this episode. Today's episode is also the latest edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag show answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved, there are two ways to do it. You can tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich. Just send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of it. It helps if you tag it as Mailbag Monday or indicate it in some way that it is that it is for the show. Or you can watch my Twitter feed, usually on Monday morning, sometimes on Monday afternoons, but sometime on Monday, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. I will send out a tweet soliciting your questions for the show. You respond to that tweet. I will do my best to get you in a show in the future, if not that very evening. If you're a Twitter user or just someone who doesn't tweet, you can email the show. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com is the address. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor gloom of night stays mailbag from your ears. So without further ado... Let's get it rolling. The first show, first question of the show, rather, comes from Sagar Trika at Blazers by Sagar on Twitter, who asks, who are some realistic candidates you like to see fill out the rest of the coaching staff? I think Sagar listened to enough episodes of me saying, I don't want to speculate about assistant coaches and said, let's get this dude speculating about assistant coaches. This, this was a, uh, an informed lister knowing how to torture me. I love it. I love it. Good work, Sagar. So I came up with some realistic names. Uh, Karan Butler. Obviously, connection with uh, the Clippers uh, of the past and Neil Olshay, et cetera, et cetera, who's, who's been working with the Memphis Grizzlies. Ty Corbin, who's kind of like uh, has been a head coach at a couple stops and then has kind of just settled into being an assistant. Uh, long, long time, been in the league forever, uh, was most recently on uh, Steve Clifford's staff with the Orlando Magic. So Ty Corbin's in there. Roy Rana, uh, he worked on Luke Walton's staff with the Kings most recently. I believe he's still on, on Walton's staff with the Kings, but I know him from my time covering youth basketball. He worked with the Canadian national team for a super long time. The first time I met Roy Rana, he was um, working with 15-year-old Andrew Wiggins on the U16 Canadian national team. Uh, you know, really good player development guy, has, has coached at really high levels in, in, in the sort of Nike amateur world for a long time, and now is an assistant coach in the league. I like Roy Ron a lot. Love to see him get a job. Uh, next one on my list is Keon Dooling, uh, an assistant with Utah, who from the people I've talked to who are around the Jazz, uh, renowned for sort of player development stuff and working with guys, um, really, really well, like well-respected um, uh, assistant there. He's, you know, played for, he played for Quinn Snyder at Missouri and now works with him. So I don't think he's going to leave, but um, at least like sort of a name to know for certain. Uh, the next one on my list is Robert Pack. Um, just one of the all-time great dunkers of the 90s, former Blazer. Uh, worked in the league in a bunch of different capacities over the last decade, most recently with the Washington uh, Wizards this past season. Uh, that means he worked with Scott Brooks, so he has a, he has a connection there. But he's, he's done you know player development, assistant coach type of stuff for a long time, and he's been in the league. Um, yeah, Robert Pack. And the last name on my list is Natalie Nakase. She works with uh, Roy Rogers and Billups with the Clippers. She's actually worked for the Clippers in various capacities since 2012. Started as a video coordinator, worked as worked as a summer league assistant, and then sort of graduated up and, and was was on the bench last season or the prior season. Uh, she was on the bench and then worked worked with the Agua Caliente Clippers in the G League. Um, she's bounced between the big club and the G League club. It's, it happens to be that they're relatively close by, so you can do that. But uh, that would be the, nas- the last name, Natalie uh, Nakasa. 
So there you go. Those are his names, Sagar. You win. You got me to speculate. You got me to guess and pretend like I know stuff about assistant coaches. I do know where assistant coaches have been, and I, I know enough people in the league to ask questions. It's just, um, you know, it's hard. To, it's hard to nail down the real specifics, and I, um, I don't want to presume to know too much. So those are some names, though. I, I, I hope that I hope that made everyone uh, desperate for assistant coaching names very, very happy. Next question comes from Rich Meyer at Rich Forty Seven on Twitter, who asks. To earn some good faith from the Blazers, should they consider hiring a couple of former Blazers assistant coaches, Terry Porter, Lionel Hollins, Larry Steele, Buck Williams, Arvita Sabonis, Brandon Roy, Rashid Wallace could all help and lend their expertise. I'm not sure Arvita Sabonis has like any interest in um, the grind of being an NBA coach, much less living in the United States. Uh, Terry Porter seems like a no. He's had his shots and hasn't been particularly good. Uh, Lionel Hollins was considered, and I guess they went in another direction. He's still working for the Lakers. Uh, not sure what's up with, with Larry Steele. He used to be around the team more frequently, uh, and I know that there was, you know, he was he was living in in Oregon uh, as you know in the last decade. But I, I have I've lost track. I've lost track since I've, I'm off the beat. Uh, same with Buck Williams. I I know you know he worked for the team briefly, even when I was around the team. He had just his his tenure was kind of just ending up with the Blazers. Uh, but I'm not sure what has become of Buck since then. Uh, I I know what's up with Brandon Roy. <laughs> it's that he doesn't even want to come to the arena, much less work for the team. So you can cross that one off the is and Rashid Wallace weirdly of all these names other than Lionel Holland seems like the most realistic although he is a, a long shot you know she has the connection with Chauncey Billups uh with with the Pistons he obviously has a connection with the team um you know he's 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 been in coaching he's now coaching uh I believe like youth women's sports uh the, like a women's a AU program after coaching at a high school in Durham shout out to South Durham High um I think all of these are a stretch. I kind of see where you're coming from here, Rich. Uh, you know, like the good PR stuff after they've kind of bungled the offseason a little bit. But the best way to win back PR, um, and this is like as depressing as it is, is like to win, to win. I don't think they need to hire. I don't think they need to like throw fans a bone by hiring Arvita Saronis or like, you know, forcing Brandon Roy to stop being a hermit or whatever. Like the the, the job isn't to like coax coax fan favorites out and and parade them around in public the job is to win like put a good fans will forgive you with a good basketball team uh it's it's kind of the sad part about sort of all the social stuff that we've talked about on this podcast is that like that stuff goes away when when people win basketball games uh and the best way to sort of make the fans happy and make damian lord happy is to win basketball games it's it's just absolutely true so while I, i sort of understand the logic i think the best thing they could do is you know hire the list of names i gave you in the first question because i'm a i'm an absolute coaching genius as as we all know and then and and then from there you'll say hey they did a good job um is that going to happen who knows but i don't think um i don't think the pr of, a, of an ex-player is necessarily the move that 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 like really helps the franchise w's that's what they're after w's get the old dub next question comes from molly who asks can you speculate why terry stotts has not been rumored for coaching jobs or been announced as a hire he's a great coach great person and could really help out a lot of teams so terry stotts has been connected to a lot of jobs uh, he was speculated to be the Pacers were speculated to have interest in him before they hired Rick Carlisle. Um, I wouldn't rule out Terry Stotts joining Rick Carlisle's staff, although I'm not reporting that. I just think that that's certainly in the cards. He was reported to be um, one of the candidates that the Orlando Magic would consider and one of the candidates that the Washington Wizards would consider. Uh, but it seems like for the most part, these teams are hiring Except for except for the Pacers, which hired an established coach, um, Carlisle, you know, shinier resume than than Stotts. But other than that, it's a lot of 
uh, black men getting their first shots. That's kind of the trend this summer. Is 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 uh, Jamal Mosley? Sounds like Wes Unsell Jr. is going to get the job uh, with Washington. Jamal Mosley hired uh, hired by the Orlando Magic. Sounds like uh, Willie Green is going to be hired by the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, the league is seventy percent black. Uh, having a staff or having a, having a workforce that's mostly black. Listen to another black man seems like a, a reasonable path forward. And because the in the past, hiring practices did not reflect the racial makeup of the league, uh, correcting for that, like just having the, the league look like its leaders, having his leaders look like the league, whatever direction you want to go with that, makes more sense. Uh, I think Terry Stotts can get a job in the league if he wants one. I'm not sure he wants one. Maybe he wants either a head coaching job or to take some time off, maybe not to hop back into being an assistant coach. That is a grind and a lot of work. So... Um, you know, I just think I just think this summer and with the jobs that were open, that was the move that most most teams went. Like he wasn't going to get rehired by the Mavericks, so I didn't even bring that one up. But like of of the other jobs that he was sort of vaguely connected to, at least through media reports, they just they just went a direction that had um, that did not look like Stotts. Not a retread older white coach. That is not that is not who folks hired. Uh, Jamal Mosley, not young, almost fifty years old, and been in the league a long time. But uh, his first shot at leading a team, it's it's just a little bit. Um, you know, teams are going for my money a better direction. Not to say the Stotts isn't qualified or like hiring a white guy is worse, but. Um, the NBA sort of correcting its hiring practice so it works its workforce repre- is represented by its head coaches is is a positive for the league. I don't think you could spin it any other way. Next question comes from Dr. J who asks, do you think Dame winning a gold medal will make him more content to try to win a championship here in Portland or even more anxious to leave the Blazers and do it in the NBA? I've probably thought about this, Dr. J, more than is is reasonable. Like, this has been the number one thing in my mind since I found out Damian Lillard is going to go play on Team USA and be the starting point guard and blah, 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 is that, like, would, in the way that sort of, like, uh, all people, all millennials um, searching for sort of that, uh, the comfort in their in their professional lives, will my will my job bring me joy, maybe, is the, the hunt that, that many people in Dame's age range are on, is, like, uh, is, is like would, would Team USA give him give him that sort of Carmelo comfort to say, I know I'm good. And now I have this thing to, to prove that I, my legacy is important and I can like be comfortable, maybe not chasing the ring as, as, as others have, or does it make him say, man, playing with really good players is the path forward. My, my role is easier. It's less, it's less taxing on me, all these things. Like does, does he sort of, which, which side does he land on? I kind of think it will make him see the, uh, I, I lean that'll make him see the other side that says, whoo, playing, uh, playing across from Zach Levine and Brad Beal. Like, wow, those are two really good players. Wow. Having Bam Adebayo is, is, and Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant behind me, that's really, really valuable. Um, and I, I, I kind of think it might push him in that direction, but that's mostly because I think he's already leaning in that direction and his momentum is, is leaning him to be like, you know, to peep the greener pastures and find out if they're for real. So I kind of think it'll push him to leave, but I could see, you know, I've, I've gone back and forth on this bunch. I could see like the sort of the success on the larger stage would make him content doing what he said he's always about, which is being loyal to the city and chasing it down here in Portland. I'm not going to question Dame's loyalty if he wants to leave. You spend a decade somewhere in, in the NBA, you you played for a long time. Um, it'll be about how, what that exit looks like will be, will we'll sort of color my opinion. Next question comes from Jacob G. on Hawthorne, who asks, how important are these Olympics for Dane's legacy? If the team does well, if the team fails. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know if I've thought about this as much as the other question of like sort of what would make Damien Lillard happy. But I do think if they lose, it's a pretty, it's bad for everybody. It's bad for Kevin Durant. It's ba- It's real bad for Greg Popovich. Um, the, the hottest Greg Popovich takes you'll ever hear will be if the Blazers, or if the Blazers, if Team USA uh, struggles in this Olympics. And struggles means w- wins silver or silver or less. Anything other than gold is a struggle, right? Uh, if they finish like seventh, like they did last time Greg Popovich was at the helm, uh, then w- the, the takes will be super hot. Um, I don't know if it like if it's going to reflect on Dame specifically, unless he, unless, you know, there's like a specific circumstance where he misses an important shot or gets, you know, Patty Mills gives him 2000 points or something like that. But like in general, uh, I think the, the, the higher ups, the, I think the Greg Popovich coaching staff, team USA, et cetera, will all, will all catch some blowback and Dame would catch it too. But in like the larger picture, you won't like put on Dame's resume, like uh, Olympic loser. It won't also say Olympic loser. Speaking of Damian Lord, he's our McLoeb Ultra Player of the Week. That's right. We're giving Dame some hardware because he's the only Blazer in action. And seeing Dame play, as as uh, if you want a little inside inside the studio, I'm watching him play right now on my second screen. I'm, he's got he's muted on TV right next to me. He's actually not on the court as I do this ad, but he's still our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week because watching Dame play brings happiness to all blazer fans heart it is it is regardless of the jersey or i guess if it's the blazers or team usa we'll talk about another jersey at another moment but seeing dame play is is just the embodiment of enjoyment for a blazer fan he's just you know you watch uh old letter o number six in his in his usa jersey on the court and it'll really bring a smile to your face and remember it's only worth it if you enjoy it and at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories there's more to enjoy with Michelob ultra joy creates success and enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. Today's episode is also brought to you by Theragun. Don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. Plus, it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good, it gets to the source of pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. So whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, an injury, or just the stresses of everyday life, there's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design makes it feel like you're holding something from the future. So just go to their site and check it out. Plus, the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional athletes, teams like Real Madrid, and elite athletes like DeAndre Hopkins and Paul George, plus hundreds of thousands of customers. Try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. You can go to theragun.com slash locked on right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash locked on, theragun.com slash locked on. All right, let's keep it rolling. On this glorious Mailbag Monday, our next question comes from Rudy, who asks... 
Do you think CJ could be an all-star if Dame were to be traded? In your opinion, does he have that level of talent? He appears to be a volume shooter that has put up all-star-ish stats when Dame sits. Yeah, Dame's, in general, when when not just when Dame's out of the game, but particularly in the games that Dame misses, CJ, when tasked with like a larger role for that, you know, full 35, 38 minutes has been fantastic. In general, like uh, the Blazers have been worse when Dame sits. And even with CJ on the floor, they've been consistently outscored. That's been a trend that has gone on for years. Uh, you know, occasionally they buck it this year in the 532 minutes that Dame, that CJ McCollum was on the court without Dame, the Blazers were outscored by 14 points. Uh, not dramatic, but you know, they're not, <laughs> uh, they're not rolling teams. Uh, for comparison's sake, when Dame was on the court and CJ sat, the Blazers were minus 23. But a couple things there, uh, and these stats are courtesy of NBA.com, is that uh, the Dame played 1,300 minutes, over 1,300 minutes without Dame on, without CJ on the court this year, and a lot of CJ, CJ's absences were uh, coincided with Yusuf Nurkic missing time. So, you know, the Blazers weren't, you know, they're better with their better players, every team is. But in general, to, to answer your question, Rudy, uh, no, I don't think CJ has that talent. Uh, I think, I just think the West has too many good guards. Um, you know, like, is CJ better than it, is CJ better than either of Utah's two guards or either of Phoenix's two guards? I I, I would say probably not. Um, I, I would just say no. Actually, I don't need to. I don't need to hedge there. And if you move CJ to the East, there was you know some deserving members of you know Trey Young and Chris Middleton didn't make the All Star team in the East this year. So it's not as simple as like oh well if he played in the East it would be that way. Um, I just think the bar for being an all-star is pretty high. Uh, and CJ McCollum, like, to, to make the all-star team, a team has to win a bunch. Um, and I'm not sure that a team without Damon just CJ would win a bunch. I don't think I don't think you're there. I mean, I think I think what CJ is going to end up being is, like, it's just a, a dude who scored a bunch in the league for a long time, and it's pretty darn good. Uh, he, I think it's unlikely he makes an all-star team. And a scenario in which Dame is traded and CJ ends up the team's best player seems like they'd just be um, a worse basketball team. And even if, if CJ put up these gaudy numbers, like I think he could average like 30 a game if you just sort of like let him loose. He's that good of a scorer. But, you know, how, how good is that team with with uh, with just CJ? It's um, it, it doesn't seem doesn't seem particularly good. So I would hedge no. But in general, like it's hard to make an all star team. Next question comes from Lil, who asks, do you think Dame and CJ understand the importance of adjusting the culture of this team to really focus on defense? Watching these playoffs, you would think that it really hits home that if we don't improve our defense, they will never bring a chip to Portland. Yeah, I mean, there's something to that. Like, Dame and CJ need to play a little more, be a little more attentive on defense. But I, I think this assigns too much credit to, like, defense being all all effort. Certainly there's an effort problem, but Damon C.J. also six foot three, um, you know, generously maybe uh, in, 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 some the, in Dame's case. Uh, it's like, it's, there are physical limitations to what they can do. And if Dame is being tasked with as much offense as he's been tasked with much responsibility, he's just going to not going to be a very good defender. Um, it's, it's not all a mental effort, like approach to the game. You need to try harder type thing. Like that's like, that's like how high school basketball mentality. That's not how it works in the pros. Like you playing defense at this level is just a, is, is a skill thing. It's a, if, if it was all energy and effort, everyone could be a good defender if they want to be. And that's not, that is just simply not the case. Uh, I think, 
I don't always think Dame and CJ's effort is, or problem is effort. Certainly sometimes it is. Uh, I think more so with Dame than with CJ. It's an effort thing. And with CJ, I think it's mostly a talent thing. When Dame locks in, he's a pretty good defender. It's just, can you ask him to do that 80 games a year? And is he capable of it mentally and how much it would take out of him just as a mental focus on both sides of the floor and the, and the physical toll it would take out of both sides of the floor? You get him better teammates. You get someone who could take some of the offensive load off him. Yeah, he can become a better defender. Um, they know it. They know it. They don't. It's no secrets. It's just. It's. This is why roster is so important. If you start Dame and CJ and you play them each thirty six minutes a night, how good of a defense can you possibly expect to be? Like what? What's what's the reasonable ceiling? That's not an effort question. That's just a. That is a physical limitations of those two dudes of those two dudes question. And I think I think that's what they're running up against. And that's why it seems like it's time to shake up the roster. Next question comes from Eli, who who offered this. A question that Eli would like posed to Neil Olshay and then to for me to answer in my best Neil Olshay impression. So here's the question. Are you committed to running it back with all the same core to at least start the season of Dame, CJ, and Nurk and Rocco? Look, Eli, you know we can't talk about roster stuff. Uh, you've been around this team enough to know that we don't put that out in just in public. Uh, roster construction is fluid. We're always going to be doing our best to improve the team. But can I sit here and frankly say that we have uh, committed to going one way or another? No, that's ludicrous. Uh, we're going to try to improve the team. We've got the full support of Jody Allen. We've never had better and more committed ownership to helping us have the resources we need to build this team. And whether it's via trades or via the draft, we will be there doing our best to build the roster that in a vacuum, we believe, can compete for a championship. Who's going to be here? Who isn't going to be here? That's for you to speculate. For me, my job is to make this team as good as it can possibly be. And that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> okay, that's that's my Neil Olshay. Uh, am I going to regret putting that on a podcast? Yeah, I almost certainly am. But Eli, that was for you. Hope you really enjoyed it. It was also for you, dear listener, not just Eli. It was for everyone to enjoy. Next question comes from Dr. J, who asks, With all the Billups drama... And the absolute terrible job Neil Olshay did at the press conference, he's getting a ton of heat, as well as he did last season for not using the biannual exception, etc., etc. Why are we seemingly giving giving Jody Allen a pass? She is supposedly equally involved in the decision for Billups, but there is no statement from her, etc. And everyone seems to love to make Neil the scapegoat. Isn't it possible that he's being asked to do exactly that to deflect attention from for Jody and Vulcan? If so, shouldn't the clamor be for her as governor of the team to make a statement on these issues from the Billups to team direction, etc.? Yeah, I mean, it's really embarrassing that Jody Allen has not spoken to the media, period. Now, maybe not embarrassing, but it's really notable. It's extremely notable that Jody Allen hasn't spoken to the team publicly uh since buying since taking over ownership of the team um it would have been easy to do that first year uh when they were when they were really good it would be easy to do right after the 2019 offseason when they had just had this incredible season like that was the time to kind of just say hi yeah i'm so excited about the team no i don't have any plans to sell like just assage everyone's fears etc etc like that was that was the moment to do it um but, and I think I've been pretty, I've been consistent here. I'm not saying like, listen to me, Dr. J, but if, um, you know, when I, when I've been talking about the off season stuff, I've said the most important thing to sort of like, no, the most important thing that, that we'll see is like how much ownership is willing to spend because they have, um, been re relatively cheap. I mean, as cheap, they're basically as cheap as you can be with the most expensive payroll in the league for, uh, during the bubble season, they, it's just the direction they've gone. Um, and it seems, uh, 
and, and and letting I don't think like Neil isn't directed to sort of like take fire. I think that's insane. Uh, if you own a a um, a team, <laughs> would you really tell Neil to go out there and be like, "Hey, Neil, do something pretty embarrassing so people talk about you a bunch"? Like, <laughs> that just doesn't seem like the move um, that ownership would instruct. Like Vulcan isn't playing like you know five dimensional chess here, where the fifth dimension is embarrassment. Uh, it's it's just like Jody is. D- d- the CBA de- requests that team personnel speak to the media. Ownership is not under that same rules. The CBA does not ask ownership to do one thing or another. They are allowed to operate um, somewhat independently of their of their obligations with the media that other other members of the team are not. So she doesn't have to. Um, but you know, uh, I think she does deserves a lot of blame. Like she, Neil Olshay has a job because Jody Allen chose to do so. Jody Allen, you know, signed off on the Chauncey Billups thing. There was a report that suggested that uh, Jody Allen was interested in Becky Hammond. And the more that we get further away from that, what kind of owner of the team, billionaire owner of the team, doesn't get what they want? To me, that seems a little bit odd that they would have to that a that a billionaire would have to sort of, um, you know, bargain for what they want at the, for the thing that they own to hire to hire someone at the entity that they own. Is that how ownership works? Um, obviously, you got to balance. Uh, some other priorities, but to me, it seems like the the team has prioritized letting Neil do his thing because uh, firing him and paying him to go away until the twenty twenty four season costs money. Um, I think Neil's job could be in jeopardy in the future, as as you know, so you don't have to have multiple. So it's cheaper, quite frankly. But for now, um, Jody Allen deserves a ton of criticism, and I think I've I've provided that, but maybe not with the same vitriol as others. And certainly, the fan base seems to be mad at Neil. I totally agree with that. Uh, when ownership is the biggest com- competitive advantage in sports, is big, biggest competitive advantage in the league, and it's not clear if the Blazers have anything that resembles a competitive advantage in that uh, in that manner as they once did. All right, let's come back in the third segment, close out this Mailbag Monday. But first, let's talk about rockauto.com. It's the family business that's been serving auto part customers online for over 20 years, and you can save time and money when you're using Rock Auto. Why why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership when you can just go to rockauto.com that's been serving do-it-yourselfers for decades? The prices are always reliably low at Rock Auto, and they're low for every customer. That's mechanics or do-it-yourselfers. They gotcha. And, and they got you with everything you could possibly need from brake parts to tail lamps to motor oil, even new carpet, you name it, you'll find it. So go explore their easy to use website and find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in there. How did you hear about us box? That way they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Still a pass first point guard, still Mike Richmond, and you're still listening to Locked on Blazers. We're still rolling through Mailbag Monday. Next question comes from Sean, who asks, how many more seasons until Dame is considered a top 10 point guard of all time, and what do you think his peak could be? So, I think there's eight. There's just straight up eight point guards that I don't, I'm not sure Dame can catch. Uh, maybe a, a championship, an MVP, uh 
scoring title, that type of thing. Maybe that changes. But I, but I think Magic Johnson, Oscar Robertson, Isaiah Thomas, Chris Paul, John Stockton, Steph Curry, Steve Nash, and Jason Kidd are the eight in whatever order. I mean, not whatever order. Don't put Jason Kidd at the top of that list. But like, I that's the. Those are the eight best point guards of all time for my money. Then there's this other tier. Like, I didn't see Bob Cousy play. <laughs> I was born 20 years after he retired. Um, but he's he's got to be up there. Just, you know, resume stats alone. I've seen a little video of him, uh, you know, dribbling around fools a million times. Won a ton of championships. You know, it definitely has the resume to be on this list. Walt Frazier, another guy's like before my time, but certainly deserves to be on the list from everything sort of I know about having read, you know, basketball history and 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 documentaries i've watched etc cetera, etc cetera. like walt walt clyde frazier deserves to be on the list russell westbrook deserves to be on the list uh you know an mvp the the triple double king um you know i think dame's been pretty consistently better than russ but the like you know russ's resume is pretty darn shiny um i think uh he's he's had a he's he's been good <laughs> like like uh I think you could make an argument that like recently Dame has been better and maybe like particularly with the shooting stuff, Dame looks like a little better in the advanced numbers and things like that. But uh, Russell Westbrook is, is going to be in, in that tier. He's going to be right in that conversation. He's going to be a Hall of Famer right along with Damian Lillard. So he's, he's in the conversation for sure. And then Gary Payton is sort of the last name on here. So there's those four guys that Kuzi, 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 Clyde Frazier, Russell Westbrook, Gary Payton. That's kind of where I where I stick Dame in that group. So that's like, you know, he could be as high as nine, depending on what, you know, he's, he's 31. He could play, I think, at a high level for another five seasons. Um, and he could play in the league for another eight plus, right? Like, I think he could, you know, a, a two decades in the NBA is is reasonable considering what we know about sort of health science and the and longevity of careers, particularly for the elite, elite, elite athletes. Uh, and, and the all-time best longevity certainly matters. Chris Paul and LeBron James have made us kind of rethink what that means. Um so, you know, how many more seasons? I, I'm not even sure when he finishes career that he'll be a, a, like a certain top 10 of all time. Uh, but I think to sort of get there, he would need more all NBA nods over the next, you know, three years of his peak uh, and and continue to be, you know, a consistent all-star, which I think he'll be for the next three three to five seasons. No prob. Um, and, and then you start to look and say, okay, 11 all-star games. Okay. He's an 11 time all NBA type guy. Then you start to say, okay, well, you know, Clyde Frazier never really did that. Okay. Well, Gary Payton, you know, defensive player of the year, but he doesn't have this and he didn't average, you know, 28 points per game for his career. You know, it's, I think, I think longevity will help it stack up, but I don't think there's a guarantee when Dame retires that he could be top 10. And I think his peak is probably like nine, right? Like I think those eight others are, are unless he's good, unless he's winning multiple titles, I think those eight others are, uh, are probably out of reach for him. Next question comes from GLK who asks, what is an Anthony Simons? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Anthony Simons is a shooter. Uh, Anthony Simons, the one I've, com- who I've compared him to is, he reminds me of J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith was, came to the league as this elite super athlete who was supposed to be this kind of slasher and dunker. And J.R. was much better as a driver in the, in early in his career, much, much better. But like late career, J.R. Smith was a, a was a, big and good athlete who was basically just a shooter. And Simons right now is just a shooter. Now I say this, like that sounds like disparaging, but shooting 40% on relatively high volume and being able to get that shot off the dribble, there's value in that. But the idea with Simons was that he was going to be a star. And so it has changed, or at least like a, you know, a borderline, like this dude's too good to let go um, starter. And I don't think he's that. What he is is like a rotation level NBA player with an elite skill that is very valuable in the league. He could play for every single team in the league. You shoot... You're, you're his size with at shooting 40%. Like you, 
he played for everybody in the league. Uh, he needs to get stronger. He needs to figure out how to get to the rim. He needs to do more. If, he doesn't even need to like develop much more of his game on offense except a downhill attack. Like he needs to be able to get to the rim and finish, draw fouls, all those things. Like he needs to add. He needs to be able to attack closeouts because he's such a good shooter. So right now he's Ambry Simons is just a shooter. He's a negative on defense and not much else on offense. But if you if we were to round out his game, say like become like. 15% better uh, attacking the rim, then he's like a really good offensive player because shooting is the most valuable skill. I mean, it's not the most valuable skill in the league, but it's for, for role players, it's the most valuable skill in the league for sure. And I think Simons is, is close to being there. Colin Petit, at Colin Petit on Twitter, asks our next question. Colin asks, what is the type of player you'd most like to add to the bench next year? Uh, a wing who can shoot and dribble. I mean, it's like the most, somebody who can, a wing who can create a little bit off the bounce and can really shoot it and play a little bit defense. It's the most valuable position in the league. Everyone's, everyone is after that. Uh, it's why in my A-plus offseason that you can go find an episode I posted last week uh, when I made an A-plus offseason for the Blazers, my big offseason signings was trading for Ben Simmons and signing Otto Porter Jr. That's I want size. Uh, Simmons can't shoot, but he's really talented, really good defender. Uh, but size and shooting with Otto Porter Jr. Like that's that's what I'm after. And then Colin's second question is, what what is the most realistic type of player you can add to the bench this summer with the tools available? Like like a no a no offense center like like a center with really limited offensive skills is the most realistic type player you could add to the add to the uh, add to this team with what they have. That's the easiest that's the easiest thing to find with a minimum. Next question comes from Connor Gregg who asks, "Is there any realistic situation where Rocco isn't a Blazer next year? Related, is there any chance of playing Rocco at the three next to a power forward to be named later?" Um, yeah, there's a chance that Rocco is not on the team next year. Uh, he's good and he's on a contract that has a year remaining on it. He could be, you know, teams could have interest in that. Uh, I, I think if Rocco's gone, you're talking about kind of, um, pretty dramatic trades or like a big trade. Cause Rocco is, you know, they gave up multiple draft picks to get him. He was pretty good on the team last year, you know, led, led the league in deflections, got some all defense votes, was their best help defender, or at least among them, depending on how you feel about Nurk. For me, he was their best help defender. Um, any chance of him playing the three and next to a power forward? Yeah, I, I, I think this thing with Rocco here is maybe we're getting caught up in too much in positions. Uh, to me, he's more of a four-five because his best skill is help defense, not on-ball defense. As a point of attack defender, he has slow feet, and you can get past him. And if you get past him, his skills, which are really exceptional hands really strong hands and uh and really good timing are negated because he's not a help side fender he help side defender he can't rotate over and be disruptive um he's just chasing you because you've gotten past him he's got slow feet and incredibly fast hands you got to maximize his hands by putting him on in helper spots so like three of the four i understand what you're saying like get more size on the court get like maybe a more traditional four on there uh that's i don't see that as like a super valuable direction but i think there's there's an argument for like being bigger it makes you better on defense so I totally understand it but if you're saying like you want to play Rocco at the three because you want him to guard like the elite wings or mo moreover if you put him at the three who guards the elite wings is can only be answered by Robert Covington like it's the only response like uh oh it's it has to be Rocco because either Norman Powell's not on the team or he's a little bit too small and if he's playing next to Damon CJ it has to be Robert Covington now you're taking away what he's you've reduced what he's good at like you've made you've made the team worse by virtue of solving a problem that maybe didn't exist, answering a question that no one was asking. Uh, I think that's the problem. But it, it, like three or four doesn't matter. Like if the Blazers have someone who can guard elite wing, so it doesn't have to be Rocco, 
I'm all for it. Uh, the position stuff doesn't matter as much to me. Next question comes from Lance J. Lewis at LJ Lou on Twitter who asks, why does Blazers Broadcasting hate the fans w- watching them? First, they have NBC Sports Northwest that DirecTV users can't watch. Now, Root Sports that you can't stream anywhere in the age of cord cutters. WTF is, st- is a streaming solution coming. So, Lance, let me... <laughs> so, did you have DirecTV? Then, then they was on NBC Sports, so you said, all right, got to get rid of this satellite. You got rid of the satellite. You got a streaming solution, and now they switched to Root. If it is, if it is, that's like, um, you got to call someone who works at a, at a larger publication than me so they could get your story. Cause you're like a perfect example of the Blazers screwing it up. Uh, if this is it, if, if this is your situation, Lance J. Lou, email me locked on at gmail.com. I'll put you in contact with some people who work at the Oregonian and they'll write, they'll write your story of the lost cord cutter. Um, yeah, in, in general, I think the root sports deal is, um, I think there's incentive and I, 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 I talked about this on a previous podcast, so I'm not going to get too deep into it. But yeah, there's some reporting from The Athletic that suggests that the uh, Root Sports is looking at streaming solutions to be ready as soon as, hopefully to be ready as soon as the fall. And there's some some incentive to do that because the Kraken, which is the NHL team in uh, Seattle, and the Blazers are both going to be new to Root this year. And so they want to like bring people in to watch it. But the skeptic in me says that these things take a really long time. Uh, These deals don't usually happen over the course of a few months. Like just asked fans in Denver, Colorado about their uh, cable solution that they've struggled with, with Comcast and and Altitude Sports, uh, that, that issue. You. And also, like Root Sports has the money. The, the Blazers already gave them the damn money. They don't like viewership is, is is only like a certain portion of it. They already got the deal. They're not in. They're not going to take a bad deal just to make viewers happy because the Blazers already gave them the cash. They already signed a five year deal. Like it's um, the skeptic in me says that they won't figure it out. And uh, J. Lou, <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna be searching. And so I. You know, there's some there's some reason to believe, there's some reason not to believe, but uh, but um, the Blazers have you know they've they've made they, the Blazers did, I, for at least from the reporting from John Gonzalez of, of the Oregonian, uh, the Blazers didn't love um, didn't love their relationship with NBC Sports Northwest, and so they moved on and got this other deal, and this other deal just doesn't pri- it's it's more more TVs they're coming into more homes because it's on direct TV, but it doesn't prioritize cord cutters in a, in sort of the modern age of television, which will be a problem. It's maybe a smaller problem than not being on direct TV, but it's another new problem and it's um, not ideal. Final question of the show comes from Tom who asks, how many points would your buckets have to be worth to justify making you an NBA starter? So my friends and I have done an experiment like this or a thought experiment like this in the past. It's similar, but it's not exactly the same. Uh, we the, the one that we would do is if... Um, if your inability to play, like if at your current skill, skill level, like your, your exact size and a back skill level you are, how many points per game would you average if you played next to prime LeBron James, assuming that, uh, it didn't matter that you couldn't guard anyone. Like they didn't, you, they kept you on the floor for 30 minutes a night, regardless of your inability to guard anyone on defense and your teammates didn't freeze you out. Like they weren't, they didn't they didn't stop passing to you. You know, they treated you like you functioned like a normal player, despite being at your like skill level. And I decided that I would average probably just shy of three a game. Cause I think I would, first of all, I'd be exhausted uh, playing 30 minutes. Like I don't think I physically could do it, but like 
saying I was, you know, somewhat able to, uh, I think I'd probably go something like one for seven on only threes. There's no way I'm getting past anyone off the dribble. So I'm only taking threes, probably mostly from the corner, getting trying to get them up quick, but I might have to take some above the break threes. And my idea was that I would go something like one for seven or one for eight most nights. And, uh, but then there'd be a lot of nights where I go oh for five, just didn't get a bunch of shots up. Um, and, and then there'd be the random night where I'd go three for eight and I'd look, you know, just cause like the randomness of the league and, I, and because I'm guaranteed 30 minutes, the randomness of my jump shooting and I guaranteed 30 minutes. Um, so, you know, I thought I would, I would probably average just shy of three a game. My friends who could shoot a little bit better, shout out to the homie Pete said he'd average, he'd average almost four a game cause he's guaranteed he'd make a three every single night. But back to your question, uh, how many points would my buckets have to count for? Probably like 12, probably t- maybe, maybe, yeah, I'd say 12. So, you know, if I'm an NBA starter, say I'm playing like the Victor Colvera Memorial role where I get six minutes to start the first and third quarters and then never play again. I'm probably getting two shots off, but I'm getting, I'm getting just hammered on defense. Like we are hemorrhaging points when I'm in the game. Um, um, I'm slow. I'm not strong enough. I'm short. Like I'm, I'm extremely short. I'm the shortest player in the league. Uh, so, uh, it's, it's so probably like 12, like if I go like one for three, but I know we get 12 points back in those, in those 12 minutes, I think that's about right. Like for me to be, it might be more, my, my points might be like eight, it might be 18. Because there's a lot of nights, like, I'm, it's limited touches in this role I'm envisioning. So, yeah, I'm going to go 18, probably about 18 points per shot uh, it would have to be to make it to make it worth it. I love a stupid hypothetical. It's my it's one of my favorite things. I feel like we used to, we, early mailbag days, we used to get tons of stupid hypotheticals. We've kind of, we've kind of fallen off a little bit, but Tom, I'm so glad you brought that back. All right, that's it for mailbag. If you want to get involved in one in the future... Just tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or send me an email, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Coming up later this week, Sean Woodley, the host of Locked On Raptors, going to join me on this program. And Sean has the perfect trade, the trade to fix not only the Raptors, but also the Philadelphia 76ers and the Portland Trailblazers. The perfect trade. Yes, it does exist. Sean's going to share it with us. He went deep on Trade Machine to save the NBA in... Uh, in three separate cities. So uh, stay tuned for that one later this week. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.